Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Beverly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh my goodness. Jen, I have been looking forward to this for such a long time. Unfortunately, our technical glitches um, compromised our great collaboration. Um, But we move forward because that's what we do. Exactly. Yeah. So Beverly and I had this interview um, across an assortment of recording places (laughs) about a month ago. And for some reason, it just didn't work. So here we are again to have her tell her amazing story because I find it very inspirational. Beverly just finds it a part of her life and that's just what happened. So you know what? And I think that's that's part of what makes it great, though. I think if you were shouting from the rooftops how great you are. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be here, I guess. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think your story is it it inspires me. It tr- it truly does. I think, you know, we, we came from a similar situation, I think. You know, both our dads left school at an early age and worked um and wanted more for their kids, right? Yeah. That's where it started. Um so yeah, how to, tell me a little bit about your journey. Well, as you said, my father uh, left school when he was, um, I don't think he reached the eighth grade. And so for him, education became an obsession. And he wanted that for his children. And I was the only one of his three children that embraced education. I like to read. I'd like to learn um so it was a no-brainer for me. It was it w- it came relatively easy um, easily. I I studied, but um, I also had fun. I you know my friends and I say fun doesn't owe us anything. We've had fun and we've enjoyed that, but we've also we're achievers. That's really what we do. I you know we're focused. So I went to undergraduate school and got a mass a, a bachelor's in um, political science. Then I got a fellow a Ford fellowship to attend the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, where I got a master's in public administration. And uh, then I went to work. I went back to New Jersey, where I'm from, and worked. Uh, and then I decided. I wanted to go to law school and I'd always wanted to go to law school, but Rutgers University began an evening program, uh, which made it easy for me to do. 
And that's what I did. Um, and people are always amazed when I said, yeah, I worked a full-time job and I, I went to law school at night. There was no other way I could have done it. I, you know, no one was saying, Beverly, you go to school, law school during the day and we'll pay for it. Um, and you just focus on law school. That wasn't my circumstance. My family, as you can imagine, didn't have money. Nobody could help me. So I had to do it for myself. And I enjoyed it. So when you enjoy something, it doesn't seem to be as arduous a task. You know what I mean? I And I didn't have children. I wasn't married. So I could work and then go to school and then come home from school and go to bed <laughs> and get up <laughs> and go to work the next day. So it was, um, I used to say, um, I watched Dallas that television show every Friday night. And there were classmates of mine that would go home on Thursday night and hunker down and study from Thursday until Monday. And I used to say to my, some of my friends in law school, well, there are people that were watching that didn't watch Dallas that didn't do any better than I did in law school. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I would take breaks every once in a while because I had to clear my mind because I don't mean to imply that it was easy, but it was doable and I enjoyed it. And then um, somebody came to me in my last year and told me that they wanted me to apply for a law, a law clerk position, a prestigious law clerk position. And if attorneys know that uh, if you can get the right clerkship, that can really change how you move forward as an attorney. But they don't pay much. And I had bought a house the last year, my last year in law school. I don't know. Timing wasn't right, but it was one of my best decisions. So it turned out. And um, it was a two family house. So I had income toward the mortgage, which was helpful because I was making peanuts as a law clerk. <laughs> and it really did help me as an attorney um, move in circles that I wouldn't have otherwise moved in. Um, and I was afforded uh, opportunities that I would not have been afforded. And I landed a job that I'm reasonably sure would not have turned out as well because the job that I was offered while I was still in law school, before I found out that I got the clerkship, I it was in with a new a prestigious New York firm um, in the area that I wanted to specialize in. So when I got the clerkship, I was like, "Oh, I can't take this clerkship. I can't afford it. It's there's no money." And when I talked to the partner that hired me, he said, oh, no, we want you to take the clerkship. We'll hold your job for a year. We want our, our attorneys to be developed. I'm like, developed? <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked for because the clerkship was only for a year and then you had to leave. And then they brought in a new slate of clerks. I'm like, I did this for a year. I don't know how I did it, but I paid the mortgage. Um, I ate. You know, I got back and forth to work. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. I don't, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, but I did it for a year. And then I went uh, to uh, work for a, a large law firm um, uh, 
a national law firm that had a New Jersey office. And then subsequently I moved into its New York office and worked for one of the preeminent um, employment attorneys in the country at the time. That's amazing. That's see, I just think that's such an amazing story. I really, do. you know, it just, it, it just goes to show that if you want something, right. If you want something, you can do it. You just have to work, but it's, but it's not easy. You're not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it was easy. It was doable. And there were other people doing it. I mean, my my law school colleagues, um, who I'm still friendly with. In fact, we had dinner uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe last month. You do what you have to do. And one of them didn't study for squat. You know, he and he did very well. You know, you have to know what you can do and what you can't do. You have to manage your circumstance and be realistic about your abilities and what you need to do to make sure that you prevail and that you succeed. And everybody's not willing to do that. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I'm sure you gave up some things while you were doing that too. You know, you didn't get to do all the things and pay for all the things that you wanted because you were willing to take a year and really hunker down, right? To get that done. I've never denied myself much, but during that year, I must not have wanted anything. You know, I bought the house and I was able somehow, and I can't, I've never been a spendthrift to outward appearances. It may look like I'm cavalier about money and I, you know, I buy because it looks like I buy whatever I want and I, I pretty much do that, but I don't want a whole lot, you know, and that's not really true. When I buy stuff, I spend money, but I don't spend money like some of my friends spend money. It's just, um, ooh, it's just, uh, I forgot this goes, um, this, this, this screen, the video goes off if I don't hit the button. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know how I did it. I, I don't know. I don't know how I paid for the house I'm in now while I wasn't working. Um, I, I, I did though, because I must've had, I mean, I wasn't working full time. I had left my, my corporate job because I wanted to pursue writing the book and, and talking to people about how they could be more successful in their careers and employment because people were acting, you know, uh, this was around 2008, 2009, the great recession, People were acting like nothing had changed, like they could still go out and find the job they wanted with little or no effort. And that just wasn't the case any longer. And that distressed me, especially when I saw men who had always taken care of their families. They'd always been able to take care of their families. They'd lost their jobs and they could no longer provide. And that made me think of my father. My father at one point worked three jobs so he could take care of his his family. And I said to myself, I can help. I can I can help them by telling them how they should handle what's going on. Um I've been in the room, as they say in Hamilton, where it happens, where decisions are made. And People were not realistic about how to move forward. Um, and that was distressing to me because I did see my father 
I, there's no telling what my father would have done if he found himself in a position where he couldn't take care of his family. So whether it was hubris or just ignorance, I just, it, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just felt, I know this, I know this is not working. And, you know, they would get up every morning and go put on their three piece suits and go out and look for work, but they were doing it in the traditional way as a, and they wouldn't tell people, they didn't tell their friends, they didn't tell their loved ones that they'd lost their jobs because they were embarrassed. And we now know that networking is the best way to get another job, to get, to meet people who can help you move forward just by asking. People are willing to, to help. Yeah. And I feel like right now, I know people are, some people are having a hard time. You know, it's interesting. It seems like there's a lot of some kind of jobs, but not a lot of professional jobs. I don't know. People are having a hard time again. What is a good way if someone is finding themselves out of work or, or is very unhappy of their job? What is a good way for them to find a good job? First of all, you have to be, and I say qualified, and I use that word advisedly. You have to be realistic about your skill set and about your qualifications, what you bring to the table. Let's say, uh, let me give you an example, because this hits close to home. One of my dear ones, I won't even identify the relationship because he, if he hears this, he'll be embarrassed. I said to him, I said, you know, when my business um, really takes off, you know, you can come and work for me. He says, yes, I can be a vice president. And I said, really? I said, what in your in your work history, in your experience, your work experience qualifies you to be the vice president of anything? And he he says, well, I said, well, <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> waiting for you to tell me. He had no college education. He um did not have any focus about what he wanted to do, but he liked the sound of being a vice president. Having shared that example, you have to be realistic about what you bring to the table, what you're qualified to do. And I'm not saying for one second that the most qualified person will always get the job. But I can tell you this. If you're not qualified, you don't want to get that job because you might fail. And then your brand, your personal brand can be uh, severely compromised. But if you network, <clears throat> if you have certain qualifications and you're realistic about the jobs you, you pursue, talk to people, everyone you know, everyone you meet, if you're able, volunteer donate, be of service to someone less fortunate um, uh, in a nonprofit. Uh, schools need volunteers. All of that, widen your net so that you can tell people, oh, I'm looking for work. This is what I'm looking for. I'm really good at this. You practice how you would you would say to them, I'm looking for work and this is what I'm good at. And the reason I know this works is because someone did that to me. I was at a, um, a, 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 
college, a university uh, event for the business school. And this young man didn't know me, walked up to me, shook my hand, firm handshake, always important, smiled, always important, told me what he, you know, where he had, uh, what he had majored in, in the business school, what he was looking for. I was like, he's read my book. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's seriously, it was, it was, it was really gratifying because it was like chapter and verse and he hadn't read my book, but he did the right thing. And I wanted to help him. And as it turned out, um, I didn't I didn't help him because he went on vacation, but he got a job without any assistance from me from one of my former employer employers. Oh, wow. And I wasn't surprised. <laughs> but you have to be ready. You have to be dressed appropriately, and that's appropriate for the employer whose uh job you're seeking. You know, if you're working for a rock band, if you want to go work for a rock band, you're not going in a three-piece suit. (laughs) But if you want to work for a Fortune 500 company, I wouldn't suggest that you start out with purple hair and flip-flops. Yeah. Just wouldn't. Now, you can do it if that's who you are and you're not willing to change. That's the other thing, to thine own self be true. The way you start out is the way you want to finish. You don't want to go in in a three-piece suit and then after you get the job, start wearing flip-flops and dye your hair purple. That's going to be a problem for you whether you realize it or not. And yes, you can say, well, I have a right to wear flip-flops and I have a right to have purple hair if I want purple hair. And they have... Uh, laws now on the books in many states, they call crown acts. You can't discriminate against people because of their hair. It could be ethnic. It could be religious. You cannot or should not because whether you know it or not, people, in spite of laws, guess what? People still discriminate. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's it's a thing. Yeah. Yes, it's a thing. It's a real <laughs> thing. And as women, and especially women of a certain age, we know better than many how it happens and why it happens and that it happens more than it should. Yeah. Which you know, and I and I say this all the time. I just don't understand. I don't understand any kind of discrimination. I just don't. We're all people. Like, how is it a thing? I don't even know. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the older I get, the more invisible I get to people outside, um, which is, why do you feel that way? Thing. I don't know. Cause people don't, people don't seem to notice me as, I don't know. I, I don't know. And part, part of that is probably me, I guess. Probably because but, uh, there's nothing that I'm looking at you. There's nothing that would say, oh, I should ignore her or pay no attention to her. How tall are you? Five, eight. Yeah, see, you're tall. I'm tall. I'm five nine or ten. You know, I think I, I at one point I grown an inch, and I said, "But when you get older, aren't you supposed to shrink?" Oh my gosh, that happened to me. I went to the doctor, and they said you're five nine. I said, "No, this is like last year. I was fifty four. I've not grown. Yeah, you've grown an inch." I went to another doctor. They said, "Yeah, you're five nine. I don't know how does that happen." Yeah, they say mean- you shrink. Uh, there's no way I should have grown. 
Right. Yeah, one of my dearly departed friends, he was a, my, my, one of my, my godchild's uh, grandfather. He used to call me the peacock. Look at her. She's getting, look at her getting out of the car. She walks like a peacock. I've always had good posture. So that may be part of it. And plus, someone said, I walk like with my nose in the air, like I'm better than other people. And I said, but I don't feel that way. But that's what that's what, what people think when they see you. I said, well, that's on them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I feel like no apology. No, you have confidence. And then some people are that that's hard for some people to deal with, I guess, you know, is that you're a very confident woman. But I think that's a great thing. You can't. And, and you know, I don't have um, biological children, but as a parent, I would think it would be very troubling to realize that you cannot instill self-confidence and self-esteem in your children. That somehow they have to acquire it or be born with it. I, I don't know, because you can't give it to them. What do you do? Oh my goodness. I can tell you, well, with seven kids, I do have a couple of them that were, when they were young, they just didn't have any self-confidence and it is, it's painful to watch. It is. And I think, you know, the sad thing about being a parent is you can't give it, but you certainly can take it away. I've seen parents completely ruin their child's self-esteem like permanently. Um, and it's, it's the worst thing. Um, but, but yeah, it is, it's very hard to watch. And, and you know, what you can do is just set them up to do the things that they're successful at so that they genuinely feel successful. I feel like in this day and age where we're giving everyone a trophy that is not helping anyone's actual self-esteem at all. But when you, you have them do the things that they really are good at, and then they see their, they find their own success. I think for, for me as a parent, that's been the best way to do it. Well, you know, that's important because you should carry that on into the workplace. Don't apply for jobs that you're not qualified for because you won't, you'll be, you get rejections, but you don't want to start out in jobs where you won't be successful because that's just going to be self-defeating and it's going to make you feel badly about yourself. So you want to you want to set yourself up for success and not failure. And I don't think people really understand that because they want the money, they want the accolades, they want the um the attention, but it will come if you take this if you take the right steps in the right order. Now, after you reach a certain level, uh you're going to hear stuff you may hear stuff like um, stretch assignment. I'm going to, this is a stretch assignment. This means that you may not be qualified for this job, or you may not think that you do well in this job, but we see something in you and we're going to give you this opportunity. Um, I've been in situations where one of my bosses said, oh, Beverly's going to handle this. Uh, such and such and such. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I didn't tell him I knew how to do that. But because failure was not an option, given my circumstances, I had to figure it out. And you can figure it out. One of the things I, I strongly recommend that people do, whether they're looking for a job or not, create a, a network, a support network for yourself of like 
like and different minded people so that they can be your sounding boards and you can provide the same uh, service for them because that will help you move forward. And it has to be people whose opinion you value, who make good decisions and by their conduct will be an attribute to the group and not a detriment. It doesn't matter how much you like them. If they're not going to be helpful, you don't want them in that group because your career is going to be uh, affected by the feedback you get and the advice that you're given um, by those people in that group and by other people. Yeah, that's really good advice. And and you have a podcast about employment, your employment matters. What made you decide to start the podcast? You know, I was in, I belong to a women uh, lawyers group um, in, an, in a, 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 not even the county I live in. I was practicing in that county. I don't any longer, but I've remained a member of the, of the group. And um, we had a meeting, a luncheon meeting. This was before COVID. And one of the members uh, was talking about her podcast. And she said, oh, uh, the, the podcast provider is very, the cost is reasonable, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, reasonable cost. Uh, you know, because I didn't have a lot of money. I gone, I was going through my retirement fund, um, you know, writing the book and, and, and writing um, content that I still have that I'm holding on to because I, at some point I'm going to show it to somebody and they're going to say, Eureka, this is just what we need. But anyhow, I, I moved forward and um, things just turned out the way they should. Um, I, You know, I don't know what to tell people. I Working hard is important. Getting out there and being the kind of person that can make a contribution because a lot of times we stay, we remain in um, our circles of like-minded people. And while that's comfortable and comforting, you won't get different perspectives, different points of view. And that narrows what you will be able to do moving forward, what you will be able to do successfully. I think. Not always, but, you know, you want to put yourself in the best position to be successful. Well, on that, I think that's a good time to end. This has been really a really good conversation. I love it. And if, if someone has questions about employment, they can listen to your podcast. Your Employment Matters uh, with Beverly Williams. It's on um, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere um, podcasts are found. My book is Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. And uh, you can go to my website, youremploymentmatters.com for information about the book. And um, if you, uh, it may be easy to access the um, podcast from my, um, my website. But I've enjoyed this so much, Jen. Thank you so much. Me too. You're welcome. And I'll have links for all that. So everyone can can um, find your things very easily because I think it's so important. And Beverly, I've enjoyed having you again. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to talk to us. Until next time. 
Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.